Amen. So grateful for this time that we've had together singing these songs and uh, grateful to our Lord for that. We're going to be in Mark chapter 13 if you want to go ahead and begin turning there. But I uh, appreciate so many people who work during the week. Uh, you know, uh, they practice for this every, every Sunday for uh, song leading and things. They get together during the week. They practice this and um, Maggie gets all those PowerPoints ready for us. And, uh, you know, just appreciate it, it doesn't just happen, you know, and uh, there are folks who serve the Lord all week long. And uh, grateful, grateful for them, and uh, grateful for you for singing out this morning. We're in Mark chapter 13 this morning. We're actually going to um, read the whole chapter, so it's quite a few verses there. Um, you know, as you, as you think about where this chapter falls, um, we, we've been in the middle of Passion Week. We, we looked at Mark's uh, chapter 11 and 12, and uh, what happened? Uh, the, the Jewish religious leaders rejected the Messiah. They rejected Jesus. And uh, that's not a good thing, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of a downer, right? Uh, here is the Savior. Here is the Messiah. Here's the sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. And, and he is being rejected by his religious leaders, you know, the, the, the very people who should be looking to him. And then we have... Mark chapter 13. Well, on the other side of Mark chapter 13 is chapters 14 and 15. And um, not only will the religious leaders reject him, they'll also arrange for him to be murdered and crucify the Messiah. Uh, But right in the middle of that, we have Mark chapter 13. And uh, Mark chapter 13 gives us something to look forward to. So uh, if you follow along with me, I'm going to read this whole chapter aloud. Mark chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. It says, and as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answering said unto him, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another there shall not, that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? And Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed, lest any man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And when ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be ye not troubled. For such things must needs be, but the end shall not be yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be earthquakes in diverse places, and there shall be famines and troubles. These are the beginnings of sorrows. But take heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to councils, and in the synagogues ye shall be beaten, and ye shall be brought before the rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. Verse 10 now, and the gospel must, be, must first be published among all nations. But when they shall lead you and deliver you up, take no thought beforehand what ye shall speak, neither do you premeditate. But whatsoever shall be given you in that hour that ye speak of, for it is not ye that speak, but the Holy Ghost. Now the brother shall betray the brother to death, and the father the son, and children shall rise up against their parents, and shall cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. But when you shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let him that readeth understand. Then let them that be in Judea flee to the mountains. Uh, 
And let him that is on the housetop not go down into the house, neither enter therein to take anything out of the house. And let him that is in the field not turn back again for to take up his garment. But woe to them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. And pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, for in those days shall be affliction such as was not from the beginning of creation, which God created unto this time, neither shall be. Verse 20 now, and except that the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh should be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he had chosen, he had shortened the days. And then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or lo, he is there, believe him not. For false Christs and false prophets shall rise and shall show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. But take ye heed, behold, I have foretold you all things, but in those days, after that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars of heaven shall fall, and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken, and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then shall he send his angels, and shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from the uttermost parts of the earth to the uttermost part of heaven. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When her branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So ye in like manner, when ye shall see these things come to pass, know that it is nigh, even at the doors. Verse 30, Now verily I say unto you that this generation shall not pass till all these things be done. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. But of that day and of that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take ye heed, watch, and pray, for ye know not when the time is. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants, and to every man his work, and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of that house cometh, at even or at midnight, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping." And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. May the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. You know, in the midst of difficult times, and uh, if you turn on the news, you, most people would say, boy, these are kind of challenging times, right? There's a lot going on today. Um, certainly there's a lot more bad news than good news. Don't hear a whole lot of uplifting stories. Um, you, you think about different things going on in the world. I mean, even here in the nation, you know, we, we've, uh, we've went through some difficult things. And, and regardless of political affiliation or political spectrum, uh, the pullout of Afghanistan has been pretty bad. I mean, by all accounts. I mean, a drone strike on a car with the family over there, pretty bad. I think everybody agrees on that. And uh, those, are, those are bad things. Uh, we're, we're the good guys, right? <laughs> we're the good guys. That's not supposed to happen. I mean, you turn on the news, the global pandemic going on, and you, you see people dying and hear about people dying uh, who, who can't breathe at, at young ages when that kind of thing doesn't usually happen. Um, that's, that's hard to take. That's, that's hard to deal with. And, and in the midst of these different circumstances, uh, sometimes it's easy to forget that God is in control. And, and Mark chapter 13 makes that abundantly clear. Mark makes it abundantly clear that God is in control. 
what we, what we have here is, is uh, in, in the book of Mark, we went through this together. In the first ten chapters, you know, there, there's Jesus. He's serving. He's teaching. He's training. You, you see his, his ministry being established on the earth. You, you see people finally realizing, hey, this is the Messiah and getting saved. You see people getting healed, right? The lame walk, the blind see, all of those things. And it's, it's wonderful. And, and they're exciting things. And then you hit Mark 11 and 12 and Jesus is rejected by his own people. He, he is rejected by the religious leaders. So, well, uh, this isn't exactly going according to plan, is it? And, but Jesus makes it, yes, it's going according to plan. It's going according to my plan. And we, we get this chapter here, but you, you jump ahead in Mark 14 and 15, and what, what happened? They're plotting to kill Jesus. They're going to put him up on the cross. He will be crucified, and, and he will die before the people. So, boy, that... That isn't the plan, is it? Is, is that really the plan? And you could just imagine his disciples going through this in their mind. Is this really the plan? And, and as he told them the plan, remember that. Here's, here is Peter rebuking Jesus. Right? That, uh, you, don't say that, Lord. That's not how it works. You're, you're supposed to save us, not, not die on a cross. And Jesus himself rebukes him. In the midst of all that, Mark 13 reminds us that God is still in control. There's times when things in this world just seem out of control. It's a great reminder that we can be confident that God is in control. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for this pause in the midst of Jesus' rejection and ultimately his murder to remind us that you are on the throne, that you are in control. Father, that nothing happens that you have not allowed to happen. So, Father, we, we pray that today we would gain great confidence in who you are. Father, may your power and authority and might, may your sovereignty be on display for all of us to see here today that we would trust in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage that we read this morning is, is called the Olivet Discourse. Uh, why? Well, it's a discourse. He's talking, and it happens on the Mount of Olives. So the Olivet Discourse, that's where the name comes from. Um, and, and if we look at, at verse 1, if, if we think about the Mount of Olives, it, it sat next to the temple on the east side of the temple. Okay, so it was over on the east side of the temple. And uh, verse 1 says here in chapter 13, As he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Master, see what manner of, of stones and what buildings are here. Now, remember, so he's leaving the temple. He's departing the temple and walking out to the Mount of Olives. It's on the east side. He's probably leaving the east gate and uh, walking in that direction. And as we, as we, we think about that, uh, one of the, the realities here is that in the midst of this, remember, Jesus had, had just told them in speaking that, that this temple was going to be cursed. Right? He, he has given that description just in the past, past chapters. He has made that abundantly clear. This temple will not be the seat of worship anymore. It will be destroyed. And now he's going to make that explicitly clear for everyone to see. And so in, in the midst of what's going on, here, here are... Jesus' followers, and they're pointing out, wow, look how magnificent this temple looks. Well, Jesus just told them, this isn't, this isn't where it's at anymore. 
right? This isn't where it's happening. It, there is going to be a new temple, and, and it's going to be the temple of the Holy Spirit in you. Right? And ultimately, Jesus is building up his church. Right? That's what is going to be coming. There's a change that's going to, going to be happening here. And the disciples, boy, they're still enamored by the building. <laughs> Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. I mean, they, they've been there multiple days, and, and they're still walking out, and they're, they're in awe at this building. And it was a, a beautiful building by all accounts. This was the national pride of Israel. And uh, we, we've looked at it. It's the temple we've considered. It's the one Jesus has cursed. And, and it was an incredibly ornate building. It, it was an incredibly ornate building. And as you think about it, the, the thing they're pointing out, look, look what manner of stones. Uh, it's not too often. I, I just went up to a building and said, yeah, check out those bricks. That's pretty cool. You, you know, normally uh, there are other things that catch your eye. But these stones were incredible. And, and we have, have recording it from, from historians in Israel in that day describing the stones of that temple. And, and some, of, some of those stones were 12 feet wide. They, they were actually 12 feet wide. I wonder how wide that is. That's, that's one of these pews. That's, that's how wide it is. And, and if you're wondering, well, well, how long was it? Well, 37 feet long. Okay, so 37 feet long. If you were to, to basically kind of start walking to the end of the pews. I mean, imagine a section like all of these pews over here. And that's one stone. I, I mean, that's, that's pretty incredible to think about. And, and not only that, the stone is polished. And so it's, it's like a glistening, glistening white. And that's pretty cool, except they also decorated it in gold. Now, that, that's a magnificent building. It's easy to understand why, why those in Israel would have been so proud of that building. I mean, that, that would be incredible. I mean, Washington, D.C. is pretty cool, right? But even there, they don't put gold on everything, <laughs> you know? I mean, uh, that, it, this is a whole different... And Jesus actually agrees with it. Verse 2, Jesus answering said to him, Seest thou these great buildings? He said, ah, oh, come on, that's a shack. <laughs> he said, they are great buildings, right? Do you see these great buildings? And, and that would have made sense. Everybody said, yeah, yeah, we see them. We see them, Jesus. But the second part of verse 2 would have been what absolutely shocked them. The end of verse 2, he says, There shall not be one be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Well, you talk about a killjoy, right? We were just admiring the scenery, Jesus. And you're, you're saying that all of these are going to be ripped apart. They're going to be knocked down. And that's exactly what he's saying. This temple, which he said before, is going to be cursed. Not only that, he said before it's going to be destroyed. Not only that, one stone will not even be sitting on another. It's going to be totally demolished. We're not talking about just a little bit. We were in Warsaw, Poland, just a few weeks ago. And you want to talk about a city that was totally demolished during World War II. That was Warsaw, Poland. And I didn't know about it. I, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe they taught this and I just wasn't paying attention. But there was actually a Warsaw uprising during World War II where, where you had Polish people getting together and they're making these little homemade flamethrowers and, and they're taking on German panzer tanks with, you know, one dude out there with a flamethrower trying to take on a whole tank. And a lot of Germans died. 
And it made the Germans really mad. And they came in and they demolished that city. I mean, we, we, were, we were literally standing on buildings where they had photos. And you would look out across the city. And, and, and in the photo, you would see everything that was out there. And they'd show the two little specks on the horizon of thousands of buildings that were actually not hit by the German tanks. I mean, it, it was like a house out of a thousand. I mean, it was, it was incredible. As far as the eye could see, you could look out, and, and in that direction, you might catch three little dots that were actually original that were missed by the tanks. This is even more destruction than that. Not one stone standing upon another. You know, we, we kind of know already, because we know a little about history, that that is actually what happened, A.D. 70, and, and that was the Romans coming in in response to a Jewish rebellion that had started in A.D. 66. And so some of the Jewish people rose up against the Romans. They were, they were trying to overthrow their oppressors. They were trying to overthrow those who were, were over and above them. Emperor Nero is in Rome at the time. He dispatches an army to put down the rebellion. There's a general over that army. They start in the northern part. They start working their way down. And the battle is going well for the Romans. They're, they're doing fine. It's going so, far, so well that the general who's over it, he gets recalled back to Rome, and his son, Titus, takes over. And so they surround Jerusalem, and they, they slowly tighten further and further in like a noose surrounding the city. And eventually the city falls. And the Jewish people who are left retreat into the temple. They go inside it. But there's no safety there. The Romans kill thousands and thousands of Jews. The ones they don't kill, a lot of them get taken to Egypt as slaves. There were some they took and they paraded them around to other, other places like in front of gladiator rings and things like that. And they had shows and spectacles watching these people getting killed in front of others. What happened? Exactly what Jesus said would happen. That's what happened. Even the stones themselves, the historians describe that the Romans ripped the stones apart so they could get every bit of gold that was around them. They tore every stone, one from another, so that they could, they could melt down and take that gold with them back to Rome. They ripped every part of that temple apart. That one who, who got the, the victory, that's Titus. He, he later would pass away as he, as he aged. And afterwards, they would actually build in Rome the, the Arch of, of Titus. And it was to commemorate his great victories. And it, that included the victory of, of Jerusalem. On the side of that arch, there's actually a relief in there that, that shows the Roman people ransacking the Jewish temple and, and taking all of the gold and all of the things out in response and, and basically parading them around to, to show their great victory, the spoils of their victory. What's the point? Jesus said the temple would be destroyed. And it was. When Jesus said it at that time, people didn't believe it. Oh, you're crazy. No way, Jesus. I mean, he, here are the, the disciples and they've heard him say it. He has just preached it. He has just declared it over and over. And, and they walk out and he goes, 
wow, check out these stones. Isn't this awesome, Master? I mean, he just said it's going to get ripped down. They're not looking ahead. They're not even really trusting his word. They're just excited in the moment. And Jesus declares to them that it's going to be ripped apart. You see, it doesn't really matter what people believed at that time. God is going to keep his word. It doesn't really matter what everybody thought. God said that Jerusalem would be overthrown. He said that that temple would be destroyed. And not only that, every stone would be ripped apart. You know what happened? It was exactly true. That's exactly what happened. Another thing that Jesus makes clear in this passage is that he's going to return. Now, people looking today say, but wasn't that the one who was crucified? What do you mean he's going to return? We're, we're going to be looking at various verses in this from chapter 3 today, so skip ahead a little bit to verse 24. Look ahead to verse 24, and we're going to start reading there, verses 24 through 27. Jesus gives a description, but in those days, after that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light. The stars of heaven shall fall, the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken, and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then shall he send his angels, and shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from the uttermost part of the earth to the uttermost part of heaven. That's Jesus saying, I am coming back. And you know what's going to happen? He's going to come back. He said it and he will do it. And, and you probably experience people today that, that you meet and, and see along the way. When you talk about biblical things and they act like you're absolutely crazy. You, you start talking about what God has done or what he will do. And they're like, oh, come on. That's just ridiculous. Don't be surprised by that. That's not a new occurrence. That didn't just start happening today. It's not like, oh, wow, we got all this science now, so people are doubting God. No, 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 that's always been happening. That's not new. Right? It's just a new excuse each time. Let's go back. 2 Peter 3, verses 3 and 4. If you want to flip there, 2 Peter chapter 3. And, and let's consider what was going on in the very earliest days of the church. 2 Peter 3, verse 3, says, Knowing this first... That there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. You know what they're saying? You people that think Jesus is coming back, you are nuts. You're crazy. It's not going to happen. But what do we know from the word of God? Jesus said he's coming back. And you know what that means? Regardless of what anybody else says, it means he will come back. Keep looking ahead right here in 2 Peter 3. Verse 8 goes on and says, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, 
in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. What's going on? People will laugh. People will scoff. People will mock. But God always keeps his word. It's just that simple. Jesus was right in his day about the temple. He's also right about his return. As we go back to Mark 13 now, verse 31 says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. You know, whatever Jesus says will happen, it will happen. And it's regardless of what people say or think. You know, you may be out looking at the news today and turning on the TV in the evenings and saying, boy, I wonder when this pandemic will end. Will it end soon? Well, let me give you an answer. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how long it'll last. I don't know when it'll stop. I don't know if it'll stop. I, I don't know. I mean, eventually it has to stop, right, one way or another. <laughs> it might be with Jesus' return, but it will eventually stop. But I don't know when that will be, right? I don't know when the timing will be. But you know, in, in spite of all that, God's still in control. And in spite of all that, whatever happens, we know that God will keep his word. What do we do in the meantime? Well, we've, we, we've seen this description here before us, right? That we can be confident because God always keeps his word. But secondly, we can be comforted that God is in control. See, God is in complete control over everything that takes place. There is nothing that is outside of his control. It's not like he just has this area over here and then, oh, I can't do anything with that. God's in control. We, we've talked about it already, but Mark 11 and 12, Jewish leaders reject their Messiah. Mark 14 and 15, Jewish leaders crucify their Messiah. What's the reminder here in chapter 13? Jesus reminds us he is in total control. You want to talk about things seeming to spin out of, out of control, right? The Messiah being rejected by his own people, standing in the temple itself being rejected by his own people, and what's yet to come? He will be crucified by his own people? And in the midst of it, Jesus wants us to know he's still in total control. Back here in Mark 13, verse 3, says, He sat upon the Mount of Olives, over against the temple. Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, so here's what's going on. Mount of Olives sat, and it was slightly taller than Jerusalem. From the Mount of Olives, you could kind of look down on the city just a little bit. And so he's sitting over there. He's there with Peter and James and John and Andrew. And they, they ask him a question. Verse 4 gives us that question. Tell us when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? And it's interesting. Jesus' response isn't, yeah, I don't know. That's not what he says. Jesus gives them answers to their questions. And, and you know why he can give them answers to the questions? Because he is the sovereign Lord over all. That's why he can give them answers to their questions. He knows what's going to happen. 
So let's, let's look at what some of these things are that, that are going to be happening. Right, let's kind of glance ahead here. Verse 7 gives us a description. Wars and rumors of wars. Right? But into verse 7, the end shall not be, shall not be yet. Right? That's going to happen, but that's not the end. Verse 8 goes on. There are going to be nations rising against nations. And it describes those here at the end as, as being the beginnings of sorrows. You know what that literally means? Birth pains? This is like birth pains beginning. And, and they're going to start slow, and they're going to increase in intensity as you move along. That's what's going to be happening. How can he say that? Because he knows what's about to happen. He is the sovereign Lord over all. Verse 13 goes on. Gives a description. You should be hated of all men for my name's sake. He that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. How does he know that? Because he said it's going to be true. He is the one who is over all. He is in control. Let's look ahead. Verse 20. Verse 20 goes on. It says, Except the Lord has shortened these days, no flesh should be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he hath chosen, he hath shortened the days. Jesus knows exactly what's going on. He knows exactly what would happen, and he, he's able to tell them in advance exactly what's about to take place. What's he saying? There is a crisis coming, and it's going to be big. And Jerusalem's going to be destroyed, ripped apart stone by stone. And let me tell you, that's only part of it. And what's the big picture in the midst of all that crisis? God is in control. You know, his followers, they're, they're wondering, this is going to happen? You're saying this is going to happen? What's, what's the sign? When's it going to start? Let us know. And, and Jesus' response isn't, well, it's none of your business. Right? I mean, his response, he, he answers the question. Here's what to look for. It's a fair answer. It's a fair question. And I'll answer it. I'll give you the list of the things that are about to happen. How in the world could he answer it? Because he's in control. He's Lord over all. Wars, famines, cataclysmic events, they will be taking place. And be careful because that's not the end when it starts. It's going to pick up and it's going to increase in intensity. Things will happen in life that we don't understand. There will be things that happen in life that we can't explain. There might even be things in your life that have happened that you would want to change. You would say, boy, if I had that to do over, or if I was in control, I would do that differently. Sometimes it's hard things. Maybe we, we lose someone we love, right? Sometimes they're too young. You know, death of a child. Or someone who loves the Lord. You, and you, you admire this person. You admire their faith. You admire their walk with the Lord. And you've seen them serve and help other people. Lord, where were you? Where were you in that time? How do you explain it? What were you doing, Lord? And what's the answer? Even though we may not have the answers, we can know that God loves me, that God has a plan, and that he's working all these things together for my good, even when I don't understand what's going on. And I know it's true because he's in control. I can be comforted that God is always in control. And so whatever that, that hard thing that happened, was God in control of it? Yes, of course he is. 
course he was. And so, first of all, I can be confident, right? I, I can be confident that, that we, we serve a God who is in control, but I can also be comforted by that. It's good to know that this world isn't just spinning out of control, that God himself knows what's going on. And not only that, one day everything will be made right. Everything will be put in order. And how do I know that everything will be put in order? Well, it's simple. Jesus is coming back. I long for that day. That's our third point this morning. I can be expectant. Why? Because God keeps his word. Certain words that we see take place over and over again in this passage this morning. Verse 5 says, And Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed, lest any man deceive you. That word there, take heed. You may have it as see or watch. Right? And what's he saying? Pay attention. Right? And, and specifically, why do we have to do that? Lest anyone deceive you. Right? Don't let anybody deceive you during this time. There's going to be a lot of deception. There's going to be a lot of false preaching. There's going to be a lot of lies. Take heed. Pay attention. Verse 9 goes on. Take heed to yourselves. Same word. What's the warning there? There's going to be danger. There's going to be people coming after you. Verse 23. Go ahead. But take ye heed. Behold, I've foretold all things. Same word. All right, there's something that's coming. There's going to be a time of tribulation. And, and we'll cover who will go through that later. And that, that'll be next week. But watch out. Right, that's the warning. Watch out. Verse 33 goes on. Same word again. Take ye heed. Watch and pray, for you know not when the time is. You don't know when this is going to happen, so be ready. Let's look ahead. Verse 34. Start reading in verse 34. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work, and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, even or at midnight, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. What's the point? Jesus is coming again. He's told you he will do it. Right? He said, this is, this is my word, this will happen. He will do it. And so what, what do we do? Is, is God in control? Yeah, we know that now. He's in control. So we just sit back and relax and wait. No, that's just the opposite of what he's saying here. We don't sit back and relax. We prepare. We get ready. We need to take heed. You know, it's sometimes, uh, this is one of those passages where we've pulled back and we're looking at the whole chapter. Sometimes we get looking so closely at the, at the trees that we miss the whole forest, right? I mean, that... That, uh, that kind of thing. And after, after two chapters of Jesus being rejected by his own people, and before two chapters that's coming of Jesus' crucifixion, we have this Olivet Discourse. It's the longest discourse in all the Gospel of Mark. And what does this discourse remind me? It reminds me that regardless of what happens, first of all, I can be confident because God always keeps his word. Secondly, I can be comforted because even when things happen that make me think things are out of control, 
I can be comforted because God is always in control. And you know what? He's coming back one day. And I don't just ignore it. I am expectant. I'm looking forward to his return. I am preparing for it. You know, for, for those who, who know the Lord, those, those who know Jesus as, as their Savior, you know, his return is almost like you know, having your father come home from work. I don't know if you remember that as a kid. You know, and maybe while he was away, something bad happened. Your tire fell off your bike. Right? And you've been trying to figure it out, and you're kicking your bike, and you're trying to put it, and it just keeps falling off. And you're frustrated, and you're angry, and you're upset, and all of a sudden, your dad pulls in from work, and you say, it's okay, he can fix it. See, that for believers, that's what happens when the Lord comes back. If you know the Lord, it's a wonderful time, because it's okay, he can fix it. But here's the other side. If you don't know the Lord, He's not coming back to put that tire back on your bike. He, he's not only a loving Savior, He's also a holy and righteous judge. And every one of us is a sinner. Right? There's not one of us isn't, but someone has to pay the price for that sin. And, and the, the question... It's very simple. Each and every one of us has a choice. Will I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and believe that he died on the cross for my sin so I'll turn from my false beliefs about God and, and instead put my faith in him to save me? Put my faith in Jesus to save me. You know, if I do that, then it will be the Lord coming as my Father. Right? It, it, it will be with that day when you don't expect it. When you, you don't even know it's there, you, you don't know the hour, and the Lord will come. And you're going to meet him, whether or not God comes as your father. You will meet him one way or the other. If he's not coming as your father, he'll be coming as your judge. And you'll be for, condemned forever in a place called hell. It's a place you don't have to go to. It's a literal place of torment. It's a place you don't want to go to. But it doesn't have to be that way if you simply believe. And it's so simple. It's, it's that God loved you so much that, that he, Jesus, became a man. And he came in the flesh, the person of Jesus Christ. And he lived a perfect life. And he voluntarily went to the cross and laid down his life, shed his own blood, and died in your place. He rose again from the dead. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. And you can be forgiven of all your sin. If you just simply say, I don't, I don't want that sin which is sending me to hell anymore. I don't want that. I want God as my Father. I believe Jesus is my Savior. If, if you do that today, you can know for sure when Jesus returns, he'll be coming as, as a father comes to a child. And in that way. But if you have questions about that today, can I just simply say, don't leave today without getting this settled. Don't leave today without letting someone know. This time, let's go ahead and all bow our heads.
heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around. I want to I ask you a question, um, and, and it's just a, a very simple question, but if you have never believed in Jesus to save you, you've never had that time where you just trusted him for salvation, you don't have to do anything today, you don't have to pray, you don't, you don't have to do anything, you just have to believe. It, it is that simple, you just have to trust. Say, I, I trust that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I trust that he paid that sacrifice so I don't have to. If that's you today and you've put your trust in Jesus to save you, I don't want to call you out. I'm not going to call you out. But I just want to pray for you. No one's looking around. It's just me. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand today? Nobody like that at all. Let me encourage you, if you have made that decision today, you can mark that down on your connection card, and that will go to me as well. But if you have a question about that today, don't leave today without getting those questions answered. Believers, if you are here and you're going through a hard time, let me encourage you, be confident. The Lord always keeps his word. Be comforted. He's always in control. And the reality is he's coming again soon and if you would just be one who would would cry out today and say say pastor i need to be on watch i've been sleeping a little bit this has reminded me of my responsibility before the lord and the imminent return of jesus christ pastor would you pray for me if that's you you'd like me to pray for you to be on watch, to take heed. Amen. Amen. Many hands. Step up your hand. Many hands. Father and our God, I thank you for these decisions that have been made today. Father, we thank you for sending your Son. We thank you that we can be confident. What you say is true. It will come to pass. We thank you, Lord, that we can be comforted knowing that we have a God who is in control. And if we know you, you are acting according to our good. Father, we can also be expectant that Jesus will come again. And so, Father, today we just praise your name. Father, I pray for anyone here, some under the sound of my voice, who has never trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Father, I pray that today may be the day of salvation. Father, I pray that if anyone is here like that, that they would not leave today without getting whatever questions they have answered. Father, help us to grow and change and be more like Jesus Christ. Father, for those who who know you today, I pray that you would help us in our walk before you. Help us to be vigilant. Help us to walk in a way where we are expectant of Jesus' soon return. Father, help us to be active in doing your work and your ministry. Father, change our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I appreciate your attention this morning. This time we're going to have a a hymn, and then afterwards we'll have the offering. Let's all stand together as we sing, Nearer, Still Nearer.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to take these tithes and offerings. Uh, Father, we do pray that these funds will be used for the furtherance of your kingdom. Uh, Father, we thank you for our missionaries, the Carlisles, as they prepare to head back for, to Cambodia. Father, just pray that you'd prepare the way. Uh, allow everything to go smoothly with tickets, and thankful they had their visas. But Father, we pray for those immigration officials who have to check the visa. Pray, Lord, that everything would just go smoothly for them as they travel back. And, Father, that you would make the way, that you'd go before them. Father, we pray that they'd be encouraged. Pray that you'd use them for your glory. And, uh, Father, we pray that many souls would be saved over there. We're so grateful uh, for this opportunity to give back a portion of that which you've blessed us with. And we pray these things all in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> 